0: Welcome to Happy Hour, your weekly careers podcast, where we talk about work life from the perspective of two real people.
1: We're your hosts. I'm Brittany Bowring,
0: and I'm Penny
1: Blackmore. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Um, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't done that already. Um, today's episode is extremely special. We are very, very lucky and excited to have with us Wesley and Little. Welcome! Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you all. Oh, you have no idea how excited we are to have you, Wesley, because, everyone, Wesley is your friendly couples therapist. Um, and I will do this little intro um, for her. So Wesley mm-hmm. is a relationship therapist who is certified in emotionally focused couples therapy. Whoo! She loves helping people realize relationships don't have to be so confusing. Um, Yeah. I would say relationships are extremely confusing.
2: God damn, um,
1: god damn. So um, I don't know if you guys have realized, but Penny and I have just basically, um, uh, you know, we've signed up for a free uh, hour of couples counseling.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: it's like, Britt, we're getting couples counseling for just you and me, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can um, sort out I, all our issues. Yeah.
2: I've heard about a new wave where business co-owners do couples counseling and it seems like it would be really effective because I would imagine there are a lot of the same communication patterns too.
0: Yeah, of course. And also um, one of my favorite podcasts, which is My Favorite Murder, those two podcast hosts have a couples therapist, even though they're not like a couple in the traditional sense, but like a podcast co-host therapist who helps them work through all of their you know, little dramas and issues and stuff. So
2: I think it's
1: cute. I think it's really smart. Totally. Um, so to kick us off, I and mean, we have so many questions for, for Wesley, so <laughs> let's hope that this podcast doesn't end up being like hours long. But if it does, it does. <laughs> if it does, it does. Uh, exactly. Um, so our first question for you, Wesley, is we want to know for you, how's work right now?
2: Yeah, so work is um, good and weird. Um, I'm very grateful that I can still see clients over Zoom. And it kind of surprises me how effective it can be. Um, it definitely, you know, is is a lot of grief counseling as well right now. So everyone's going through this very difficult time, of course. And I think it's it's just causing stress and anxiety and sadness in ways that we don't even completely realize. Um, and so I think part of it is also just working with all of the, the natural fears that are coming up for my clients in addition to the relationship dynamics, which is what I would typically work with with them. So I definitely can feel um, the weight of that. Um, and it's very helpful to have you know, friends and other therapists to talk to and feel like, you know, there's a community around the, the therapists as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, I, I obviously like the couples therapy has kind of had a bit of a moment uh since coronavirus because everyone's realizing that they can no longer escape their relationship in any literal way so um, <laughs> i'm sure it's a really
1: <laughs> i haven't problem. felt that at all i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> obviously that kind of um is something that i realized very quickly actually is the amount that you actually do that you are able to um when you're distracted from out the outside world and other relationships and friendships and work and everything, you kind of, um, can really sort of, yeah, easily distract yourself from like any kind of issues that you might find in your relationship. And that has been, um, very clear.
2: Yeah, for sure. Since the old pandemic. Yeah. And I think it, it can put a lot of pressure on the couple, you know, because right now your partner might be the only other adult you're actually seeing in person or really relating to. And it does, it does put pressure on the relationship in a different way. Um, for some of my couples, it's improving things because they get more time together than they typically would. And for others, it is a challenge.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm curious. Um, because okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but the first time I ever talked to you, we were uh we were just talking about kind of therapy in general and I kind of mm-hmm. like apologized for the for the fact that I'd never gone to therapy before, right? I was like, I'm yeah, I know it's terrible. And um and you kind of laughed and said like usually people don't start therapy unless there's like sort of a a big reason for them to start therapy, which is not necessarily right or wrong. It's just sort of how people do it. But do you think, I'm just very curious about this specifically, and this is not necessarily a super work-focused question, but what do you think between having like couples counseling for a couple versus a couple each having their own like a counsel or
2: like therapy? Yeah, so it's it's two different kinds of therapy. And I think they're both wonderful. And I love it when they happen at the same time. Um, so I don't think it has to be one or the other at, at all. Um, so I think of individual therapy as a space where it's really about your personal exploration. It's it's a comp- hopefully a completely safe space to explore whatever you're thinking and feeling and the therapist is, is helping you think through things differently than you might typically or process trauma that you might not be able to process on your own. And with the couples therapy, it's a little bit unique in that my client is actually the relationship. Uh, love that (laughs) yeah and and it's so I I love and care about my couples clients you know the same way I do my individual clients but my focus is on the relationship goals so if someone came in and and there was something kind of reactivating from their past or there was something, you know, really interpersonal happening for them that wasn't necessarily playing out in the relationship. I would want to explore ways that the relationship could support that or how they could talk to their partner about it. But I wouldn't necessarily be deep diving into that because my, rela- my client is still the relationship.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I'm sure you know about Esther Perel. The um, oh yeah, <laughs> she's kind of like the Oprah of um, of relationship mm-hmm. therapy. But um, uh, and you're in hot pursuit, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but um, I'm, I'm right
2: behind her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah banging on the door. Um, But she, I I heard a podcast with her and she she said that basically when a couple comes into therapy, she does this thing where she asks them to tell the story of how they met or tell the story Mm -hmm. of like which song they chose for the wedding or something that should be kind of sentimental. And from that interaction, she kind of observes that interaction. And then from that, she can she has a good idea whether the relationship has a chance or not. Um, do you kind of get those vibes sometimes where you're like, oh my gosh, this is totally doomed? Or, <laughs> or is it? Sure. Uh, are you trying to stay a lot more positive than that?
2: Well, yeah, so that's a great question. So um, what you're describing is called the oral history of the relationship. And it um, definitely is used by lots of therapists. I think originally was promoted by John Gottman. Um, who's kind of the original um, re- major researcher of couples therapy, and um, so his research showed, and this might be what Esther Perel does too, that when you're listening to the story, what you're what you're actually listening for is um, different qualities in how they're describing it. So you're listening mm-hmm. for fondness, you're listening for admiration and respect, and you're listening for contempt, and so. Hold
0: the phone. I need to write these down.
2: <laughs> so interesting.
0: Fondness, admiration, and respect, and contempt.
2: Yeah, so okay. if, if fondness and admiration slash respect are high, so this is where you might hear someone say, um, I, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be exact. This is just an example of how it might come through in the oral history. They might say, uh, she never looked more beautiful than she did on that day. Or, I I always knew he would be a good father, um, based on how we met. If you're hearing things more in the contempt category, which might be um, even then she didn't even care what I wanted. Or, um, you know, I I just remember that that he was never actually really there for me, even though that was a really stressful time. Mm. Um, that might not be in kind of a full contempt, but you are, you are listening for basically what is their narrative about their partner. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't think of it as like, I'm just going to, you know, whoop, it's doomed. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, five, five instances of contempt. It's all over, but I will, I will use that to talk to the clients about, you know, if I feel, Whatever I'm hearing if I hear a lot of fondness and admiration I might reflect that and say it really sounds like there's quite a quite a level of respect you have for each other mm-hmm. um, And if not if it's more in the contempt category, that's where I would say You know, it really sounds like there's been a lot of pain and perhaps resentment or bitterness that's built up That's something that we would really want to work on Um And I, depending on the couple, I may or may not be this explicit, but contempt is the single highest predictor of divorce. Mm. And so that's where, you know, I, I as the therapist feel it's, um, I feel anxious about not being transparent about, you know, in the most gentle and warm way I can about like, this is something we would actively need to work on. That's
0: super interesting. Um, Yeah, I think every time I meet someone who's been married for like 50 years, not that I think that's the only indicator of a successful relationship, but you know, obviously there's something there. Um, I always ask them like what the, what they think their secret to success might be. And they say that um, the first step is to be very kind to your partner um, and be nice to them, which seems so obvious. But when you think about it, like, it kind of makes perfect sense if you're a meanie, <laughs> a mean bean, as we say in Australia. Um, oh. Then it's really hard to, it's really hard to
2: make things work, right? Yeah, and I, I think I, I, I one hundred percent think that the meanness comes from hurt. Mm. So, like, that's where I think people get hurt. And people feel um, a lack of security and people, deep down, I think it's really about fear. You know, I'm not important. I'm not a priority. I don't matter. Um, I think, you know, that's where we typically don't have great communication skills to talk about when we feel hurt or rejected. I know for me, like it's, I mean, I know all of this stuff and it, it is very hard to use good communication skills if I'm feeling some version of rejected mm, yeah. because it's just such a vulnerable feeling. Mm. Um, so that's, that's where I think couples therapy can be really helpful is how do you communicate when you're hurt and scared and rejected?
1: Mm. Uh, um, so this <laughs> is like already super fascinating, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, so I, we we did, we're going to just be uh, totally open and honest. We did ask if Wesley could share um, some anonymous stories with us. And she. But she's a um, professional. So. She's a professional woman. Okay. And she was like, look, ladies, no. that's not going to happen.
2: Okay. I said um, it just like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. Listen. Um, so our, our question then instead, I think that we, that I think would be very interesting is like during a, a situation like this, um, you're of course still actively seeing your clients um, via Zoom, which is a fabulous tool. Um, so are there any things that you are seeing kind of like coming up sort of tight ty- or, or the way that couples... Are sort of dealing with this situation of being like isolated together, being together all the time, not having these usual outlets. Are there some things that you're seeing, like almost like patterns or, yeah, things that you're noticing?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think that let me kind of break it down into maybe how different types of couples work. And these are very loose categories. Like, I don't want anyone hearing this and being like, oh, like this, I'm this way. You know, it's just loose categories. But I think for couples that tend to be um, very conscientious of each other's needs and and low conflict or conflict avoidant, um, that's where I would probably put my husband and I. Like, we definitely don't like conflict. Um, that can have advantages in that you have less conflict. The disadvantages is, is that sometimes you aren't great at advocating for independent needs Mm because you're worried you're going to hurt the other person's feelings. So in that case, I think making sure that you have time apart, even though you might be a little bit nervous, like saying, hey, like I want to go for an hour walk by myself. If typically they're like, oh, could I come? And you're like, oh, I feel really bad about saying no, but I actually need space right now. Or, um, you know, typically Matt and I will watch TV at the end of the night together you know, just like eat dinner. And the other night he wanted to sit in the yard and we just have beautiful weather right now in North Carolina. Thank goodness. So he just wanted to sit in the yard and our neighbor called over the fence and he said, are you in the dog house? <laughs> 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 no, because I think it's actually like right now, like we know, like everyone's in their house. So if you see one person, I think sometimes it can send the signal of like, oh my gosh, like, is there a big problem happening? (laughs)
1: That's really funny. And uh, so
2: I think, I think if you're, if you're a conflict avoiding couple, the the challenge might be advocating for needs and, and taking the risk that you might cause a little bit of friction, but that time apart is really important. And I think if you are a couple that's more comfortable with conflict, and and conflict is not necessarily negative. It's just the kind of conflict, you know, that we have to be careful about. But a high conflict couple might be a very happy, successful couple. They're just more comfortable with having an argument. Mm. So I think with a high conflict couple, it might be that, you know, because you're in a small space together a lot, and if you're co-parenting, the stressors are absolutely through the roof. That that you are practicing some more gentle communication tactics. Um, right now, what I'm basically seeing is that everything that is is simply exacerbated. Mm. Like, if you have a hard time talking about sex, it's a nightmare right now. If you have a hard <laughs> time talking about, you know, needs or something like that, it it does make it harder. Um, if you have a pretty high degree of harmony. You're feeling okay, so I just think it is it's just heightening everything mm-hmm.
1: do you think I just have a follow up question to that mm. if that's okay. I'm just thinking that um do you think that in these situations it's almost even like so let's say you are a low conflict or a um is that what you called it low conflict couple, yeah or conflict avoidant, avoidant. conflict avoidant so if you're a conflict avoidant couple, do you think that's in this kind of a situation that we're in, it's even more important? Not to do that, and to be a little bit like almost err on the the side of being a little bit more um, upfront with your needs, and you know what I mean, like almost trying harder because there's no other way to avoid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. You just go asking into your for first a friend room and- <laughs> asking for a friend. <laughs> <You> <laughs> he just goes into a <laughs> room and right. slams
2: the door. <laughs> I I. Th- I think it's a great, great question and I would maybe frame it as not like, not like gearing yourself up for a battle. Not like I got to like psych myself up to be, um, to have a fight, but more saying like I have, or I could right now practice tolerating the discomfort of not being a hundred percent what makes my partner happy. Mm. Because it, it is very hard to tolerate the discomfort because I think in the back of our heads, we essentially fear some sort of loss. Like they're going to be unhappy with me and then we will have disconnection. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so I think it's it's realizing, you know, know, for there to be greater connection, I may have to tolerate the discomfort of my partner being a little bit upset with me, or they might not be at all. They might be completely fine. And it's an imagined discomfort, which, which I have, like, I don't think Matt could care at all if I was like, Hey, I want to go by myself for a long walk, but in my head, I'm like, Oh, he's going to think this is going to hurt his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't care. (laughs) Like, yeah. <laughs> he's
0: like please go <laughs> yeah I'm going sing into the hairbrush in the bathroom I'm like have you seen um Only in- has the time yeah um insects in Sex and the city there's this episode where they talk about secret single behavior and that's what you do when no one's in the house and I'm like that's my whole life now is secret single behavior I love it um <laughs> but I have another question and it's like a two-part question um Actually, I have many more questions, but this is just one of them. Um, so are you noticing that A, now that couples don't have to kind of like rush to and from work, that they're having more sex and B, um, how would you recommend that couples with kids or families or whatever um, carve out time to uh, have have like couple time,
2: if that mm-hmm. makes sense? Yeah. I think, I think if the sex part of the relationship was already relatively okay, then yes, I do think couples are having more sex because they <laughs> have time and they have um, more togetherness. And what I really so often hear from clients, so mo- most couples are going to have some sort of a libido difference. It's, it's rare, you know, I think that couples have like an exact same libido. Mm-hmm. And... Something that I hear from a partner who might need a little more emotional connection in order to get their libido online is that it really helps to feel like they're having more conversation with their partner and it helps to feel like they're getting more help around the house from their partner. Mm. And I think that's really happening more right now because they're the only one to talk to and both people are in the house. So usually there's more help. Um, And I think that is creating just that emotional intimacy that helps um, with the physical intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for couples where the kids are in the house, um, it depends on the age of the kid. But if the kid can be safe for an hour doing independent play, you know, and they're fine, or you have like, you know, a, a Nest camera thing, or you have something where you can hear them, I really think that it's a good time to start establishing that, you know, the parents have solo time together. So it's like, hey, you know, you're going to watch this movie. We're going to be in our room. If you need us and it's an emergency, you can knock. But other than that, like this is something that we're having our alone time. And then for others, it's just going to be late at night or very early in the morning because that's the only time that they can, the kids are asleep and they can't leave them alone.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. I, um, I mean, first of all, Penny, but I've talked a lot about this, about how we're so happy that we don't have kids right now. Cause it must just be an absolute <laughs> flipping nightmare. Um, but, um, yeah, but it is, it is, I guess, you know, if you do have kids, it would be nice to have um, a partner at home with you who you could at least <laughs> try yeah. to have some time with. Um, yeah. So this is a question that's a little bit more work-focused, but still in tune with um, kind of the the relationship um, angle. So basically, I mean, our, the way that we work these days is much different, um, you know, in than, than, even 20 years ago. So we're working a lot more. We're, um, working kind of irregular hours. A lot of our time and attention is really dedicated to work. It's a big part of like who we identify as. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, when your personality and kind of like who you identify as is so tightly, uh, so tightly wound to your career, how do you think that that affects people in relationships that are, you know, obviously
2: outside of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Um, so, I think it's I think it's totally accurate to link it to identity, and I kind of think about how this plays out in relationships as what what is what are the things that we need to feel healthy and like we're thriving as an autonomous person, like that shapes our identity. And then when, because that's going to help a relationship, like two healthy people who have passions and who have ways that they feel fulfilled outside of the relationship, like that's great, that's healthy. And then I think the question is, when does it start to become problematic for the relationship? Mm -hmm. So I think that just as people, we want to feel like we have a sense of purpose and we want to feel like we have ways that our creativity and our intelligence is, is rewarded and, and contributes to society. And so I think work is a great way for that to happen. I think where people might want to increase awareness in relationships is where it starts to feel like I get a lot of validation from doing that at work it's much more complex to get validation in the intimate partnership. And so I just do work because it feels better. Like, yeah, it's, and, and I think this is where it's very nuanced and can kind of be really woven in together because it's totally healthy and normal to want to get validation from work. Like, that's great. I want that too. Everybody wants that. That's completely normal. And I also think that we can put a lot of effort in getting even better at work and then we get even more validation. And and so it just becomes this, you know, escalating thing, which is again, good, but we're really rewarded based on performance in the work world. And then I think sometimes people who are very good at, Performance in the work world and very used to getting validation for that comes home and they're like now like I'm performing at home Like I did this thing or I'm solving this problem and I want to be rewarded for that And there's a certain degree in which performance is rewarded in the the partnership or the intimate relationship but relationship also needs areas which is not related to performance which is just related to emotional presence Mm -hmm. So you'll often hear this with couples where it's like, I don't want you to fix my problem. I just want you to listen to me. Mm -hmm. Or like, I'm crying and I just want you to be with me. I just want you to comfort me. And then the partner's going like, well, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to get this right for you. Mm And that, that actually doesn't work like to to find the right thing to say or to fix the problem in the right way. Like it, it hits this like different frequency and the partner's like, this isn't working for me. I don't want this. Like, this doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking for your emotional presence. And then the other partner is starting to get very frustrated because they're looking for like, I'm looking to perform this well. And that can be a very difficult concept for people to understand the difference of. It's, it's a super nuanced concept. Um, but then they're like, okay, well, I'm failing at this. I'm just going to go spend more time at work. And then their partner's like, you're even less with me now. Now I'm even more upset. And that's where the cycle can really start to happen, where a, a, a conflict cycle is always the more, the more. So the more I get upset with you, the more you distance and the more you distance, the more I get upset with you until we're just at this explosion point. Is that a, is that a good answer for that uh, question?
0: Yes. Great. That, I think you really hit the nail on the head because I definitely, I know that I've had times in my relationships where I've been like, it's so much more rewarding to be at work right now where everyone's telling me I'm doing a good job and they're appreciating me and everyone's laughing at my jokes and then I come home and and I'm not good enough. And so it's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, I think you really hit, God, you hit that out of the park. Uh, how long have <laughs> you got today, Wesley? <laughs> I've got time.
2: We're I keeping you forever. You yeah, Thanks.
0: exactly. <laughs> um, I, I'm also interested to know, like, obviously, uh, over the past sort of 50, 60 years, even, uh, women have been achieving more and more in the workplace. Um, and I think, from what I've observed, and I'm sure a lot of people have observed this tip in gender roles, like suddenly, two the sexes are doing different things, um, but also competing in the same arenas. Um, so, have you found uh, that this this sort of gender uh, progression, I guess, has affected people in their relationships? And I, I'm sure it's also different for like gay couples and heterosexual couples and all different types of couples. Um, mm-hmm. but what How are you observing this change in the gender dynamic?
2: Yeah, you know, this, I think this is where same-sex couples have been just knocking it out of the park way (laughs) longer than than heterosexual couples. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think that what, what I'm seeing now that I would suspect you would just so rarely see even 20 or 30 years ago is that women are really advocating and, and saying, like, I, I am entitled to ask you for more help around the house. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something where, like, I need you to be a more engaged father, or I need you to be a more engaged um, helper to me, where I don't, think, I don't think people would have seen that being something that pe- women felt like they could ask for or even demand.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I of course, always want to do the caveat like I absolutely see couples where i there's a stay at home father or there's a father who is the more involved parent um so I, I there's always I always want to acknowledge that definitely more often I see that the in heterosexual couples that the female takes on more of the domestic work mm-hmm. um, and so I think that. I think that's becoming different and I am so grateful for that because I know like I was raised in an extremely gender rolled household. Like Mm -hmm. my mother did literally everything. I never even saw my father like put a plate in a dishwasher, like literally nothing. And so what I'm seeing is from the, the female part of a heterosexual relationship, them telling their husbands like your presence with our children is essential in their development, like your engagement. So just to be there to be financially providing or to be kind of like an ultimate watch out of like, Hey, I I hope you don't get hurt. So like, I'm kind of watching out for you there. They're saying like they thrive in your engagement. And that I think is essential because it's true. Mm, Like they, I, I think that I want I want men to realize that their value is it is so much more than just provision. It's mm. so much in their engagement with their family.
0: That's a, uh, can I ask a question selfishly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that all made me think of the <laughs> idea that um at the moment, because of quarantine, there are a lot of my friends um, all over the world, all of my, uh, sorry, a lot of my female friends, um, they can't work now. So they're, they're at mm-hmm. home with the child, but sometimes the male partner can work um, mm-hmm. because he can work uh, in a way that's sort of isolated or whatever. And so he's just working um, and mm-hmm. it's very hard to make the argument for the women that um, he sh- they're kind of Really unhappy at home by themselves with the child all of the time. Um, mm-hmm. What would your recommendation be on, like a really convincing way to get the guy to come home and hang out um, and and provide some emotional support?
2: Yeah, that's. I'm I'm glad you asked that because I'm seeing that often too. Um, this is where I'm I'm really going to lean on the power of communication. So this is where I really would encourage a couple to try to talk about it and and have the space to simply talk about like how are we feeling about this, what are the hardest parts for us, what are the parts that we know probably can't change, and then what are the parts that might have wiggle room? I, I think we're so many... I mean, communication is fast, and so part of what gets tough between a couple is that it's not like people are often sitting down and saying, can we just really explore this and talk about this together? It's happening where like someone comes home late, someone makes a snarky comment, someone gets defensive. Like that's how the conversation's happening. So I think like if if I were talking to one of your friends directly who was telling me like, my husband is gone all the time and I get it, And I get that there's financial provision coming in that's necessary. And I'm also feeling really alone. And I'm also feeling like I really miss my partner. And I'm also feeling just resentful, not necessarily because they're doing something wrong, but I'm resentful of like the role that I need to take right now. But also like a little bit resentful of the
0: situation in general, right? Like it's no one's
2: fault, really. Yeah. And it's also okay. Like, it's okay. I think there is a lot of, of historic sexism that we feel where there's this feeling of like, even if this is the best dynamic for our family right now, there is this fear and resentment of like, are we going backwards? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my values? So that's where I would just say, like, could you guys talk about it? Because what I see is when a couple can talk through it in a positive way they're really, they're just looking for a lot of validation. Like if their partner could be like, it sucks. I hate that you're in this position. I hate that I can't help you more. You know, what are ways that like, maybe even if I'm in the office or I can't be home that we could talk, like that would go a million miles in helping someone feel less alone.
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I mean, I would love to know if you think that, just because of the situation, do you think that there's going to be a lot of breakups on the horizon?
2: So (laughs) I'll tell you what the statistics say. Okay. So the the statistics say whenever there is a a, a large crisis, some sort of global crisis or countrywide crisis, there's a huge uptick in divorce and there's an uptick in pregnancy.
0: Ooh. Oh (laughs) yeah, the coronennials.
2: What do they call them? (laughs)
0: Coronennials? (laughs) Quarantinis.
2: So I I think there are many couples where you know, it's funny, like I I hear from, you know, like magazines or like, you know, random sources where where people talk about how like they feel like nowadays divorce is so easy or people treat it casually. I could not disagree more. Mm. I have never once seen a couple who is not in anguish about the mm. idea of divorcing. That doesn't mean they don't want it. Like I have couples that are angry, you know, they feel burnt out. They want the divorce.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It is so hard to do. Mm. And it is so scary to imagine what life is going to be like, even if there isn't kids, like there's a lot of stigma about it. There's a lot of fear of what the family's going to think, like fear of being someone who, has the identity of having one or more divorces. Like it is hard to divorce. I think there are plenty of couples that kind of limp along, you know, because even though they're not happy, like they also, it's very scary to think of that change. So there may be an uptick in divorces. And if that is actually what is right for the couple, I don't see that as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like if it's right for them, to not be together, then I would want them to have a healthy separation. Mm. Totally. So when do you think, are there like,
1: is there like a a set indicator for you where you're like, this is probably a good indication that a couple should call it quits? Is there like some kind of like a, a, is there a formula, <laughs> Wesley? <laughs> I have a feeling a you're going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> There's a perfect formula, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love You failed right the now. test. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're off the island. Yeah. Right. There's a five minute quiz you can take. <laughs> Believe me, if there is a five minute quiz on the internet, I've done it. It's on Buzzfeed. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> so, Okay. So let me give you my answer as a couples therapist and then like an individual therapist. So as a couples therapist, I never recommend divorce. Um, I also never recommend staying together. Um, I'm very cautious that what I'm there to do is to help them discover what is right for them. And I think it can be first of all i don't know like there even though i see a couple even if i saw a couple once a week for 80 minutes there is still so much about that relationship i don't see mm-hmm. and so that's where i personally don't don't like it when people in positions of power like therapy or you know life coaching or whatever i don't want someone in a position of power to think they know what's right for them we don't. That being said, if I have a couple where um, one person is clearly in a state of discernment or you know, they're they're really discerning, like, I don't know if I want to be in this relationship anymore. And that could be in an individual setting or a couple's therapy setting. What I really believe is that there is a point in time in which you just know in your heart, like, I think this is done for me. And I see that happen. Like I see someone get to a point where either because their partner is waffling in ambivalence for so long that the partner who originally wanted to keep the marriage is like, this is just not good for me that you can't decide. Mm -hmm. Or the person who's waffling kind of hits that point inside where they just say like, it's it's, right. At this point, it's worse to stay than it is to deal with the fear of leaving. Mm.
0: So I just think it's an
2: internal place.
0: Um, and I have a, a bit of a different type of question, but um, we've been talking a lot about couples, but obviously like polyamory and open relationships are having mm-hmm. a bit of a, they, they're increasing, I guess. Well, who knows? I don't know the statistics. We live in Berlin, so. <laughs> yeah, so everyone, <laughs> we me see and Brittany of are the boringest people we know. <laughs> We're like, 100%. we just have... One mm-hmm. partner. Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, there's like the logistical element of um, yeah. trying to work around that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know how that would work, but also maybe you could. Yes.
2: Yeah. Thank you. That's bringing my mind back. Sure. Um, so with, it depends on what type of open relationship it is. So there are some open relationships where you have a primary, um, I would say like the primary partner. And then you have an open relationship in that you can have varying degrees of a sexual relationship with others, but that there's, there's, uh, different boundaries around it. So that your primary partner is the person you live with and the person that you provide the most emotional connection with. And then there's varying degrees of how sexual you can be with other people. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that is largely decreased right now because you can't, Be going out and being with other people. Although they might, the couple may decide it's still okay if you're on dating apps or it's still okay if you're communicating via text. Um, That would be for each couple to just determine what boundaries they feel most comfortable with. And then in polyamory, I think if you're seeing a couple where they actually all live together or they're all kind of living like in pretty close contact to each other, Then I would imagine that they're experiencing, you know, just what everyone else is, which is you're, you're only seeing a few people, but they're the people that you're primarily bonded to. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very hot topic in the couples therapy world. Yeah.
0: Very controversial
2: topic. Um, There are some very prominent couples therapists who just say flat out, this doesn't work. You know, they don't, um, they don't promote working with couples who are polyamorous or in open relationships. There are people who say it absolutely works. Um, and my, my personal take is that I think that it's really important to work with whatever the client feels is beneficial for them. So mm-hmm obviously I'm not going to encourage if one person feels really coerced into something, you know, if one person's like, I'm all about this. And the other one's like, well, I guess I'm doing it to make you happy, but I actually don't feel good about it. Then I'm going to say, this is something that we would really want to talk through. Um, but if it's working and there are many, many relationships where this works for people, I think it's great. Whatever works for you. I'm totally happy to work with whatever dynamic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I was thinking about this, uh, a few months ago, like considering it as a potential option. And I was just Mm -hmm. talking to everyone I knew Mm -hmm. about uh, how it works for them, what they think the tips are, like Mm
2: -hmm. what
0: the benefits are, what are the negatives. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, it's all exactly the same. Like polyamorous people, (laughs) open relationship people, couples, they're all having the exact same issues. It's just about what you want. So Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, I think it, there's no better or worse from from what I've um, from what I've uh, figured out.
2: <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I one, I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of exploring this with you guys. I wonder if a difference is that in many two person couple relationships, there is often the implicit illusion that you find no one else attractive. Mm. And if you have an open relationship, you're immediately crushing that illusion. And you're saying, yes, we find other people attractive. And I still choose you as someone I want to be with. And I wonder if that is a difference.
0: Mm. And actually, I've found that uh, people in polyamorous and open relationships tend to have much better communication skills, like them, because they literally have to, you have to talk, you have to make rules, you have to Share how you feel. So, I think that's really interesting and definitely something that um, monogamous couples could learn from is just mm-hmm. sort of setting the expectation for the relationship before you just because it can just happen so by default with two people, I guess.
2: Oh my gosh, I think that's so true. I think that there's a lot of just kind of standard assumptions that we come into two person relationships with that I think would be much more communicated about in open mm-hmm. relationships.
1: Yeah. So in terms of um like relationships in general, what do you think are some pretty kind of uh what are, are the biggest let's say like the biggest mistakes that you would see couples make whether we're talking about being in quarantine together or not, but just some mm-hmm. things that you see kind of come up time and time again.
2: Yeah. Um so I personally think the biggest thing that couples run into is is the difficulty in talking about specific things or talking about um, difficult topics. So I kind of think about it not as necessarily like incompatibilities, but rather like how do they talk about something? So in my world, we would call it the cycle. So the cycle is the communication pattern that happens where it just breeds a lot of misunderstanding. And... I think that one of the primary things that fuel the cycle of misunderstanding is that people don't realize that they are with someone who copes with intensity differently than they do. So I'm someone where if I feel anxious or disconnected, I'm going to go towards, I want to regulate myself by talking to Matt and saying like, oh my gosh, we're having some disconnection. I want to approach you about it. Now, at some point, I will withdraw. At some point, I'll be like, you know, you're not understanding me or I'm feeling, you know, like I'm just not getting through. Like, it's not like I'm going to just relentlessly pursue. But my initial instinct is, if there's some sort of bad feeling, I want to go towards that and figure out how to resolve that feeling. For many people, though, if there's bad feeling, their system wants to stay or maybe go away a little bit and they're like whoa this feels intense i want to step back i want to kind of get the lay of the land here i'm worried that if we keep talking it's going to escalate and get even more um conflicted Mm. and that is something that i think is is not obvious to many people and certainly wasn't to me when matt and i were first together um and I was completely confused by moments where he would be very quiet or like he would stop talking in the middle of a discussion and I would be like, what are you doing? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> um, and then I realized like, oh, he's actually getting overwhelmed. Mm. And because I'm highly verbal and, and probably a little more comfortable with a range of emotional expression, I I w- I didn't read myself as overwhelming. I just thought I was being a normal slash sometimes passionate speaker. (laughs) 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 And so it really helped me to learn like, oh, he's actually feeling overwhelmed because I think for many people who are built more like me, it can read as a lack of effort. Like it can read like they don't care or they are dismissive or they are just not engaging with me because they find me annoying. Like it reads that way. And what's actually happening is they actually feel quite overwhelmed at the Mm. idea that you're disappointed in them or that, you know, that they, that you're going into a conflict and they're actually trying to regulate themselves by distancing from you. Um, and so once I I think that just, I just think that breeds so much misunderstanding between couples. I wish this were taught in high school. Mm. Like I wish there was sex ed and I wish there was like how people cope with strong emotions. Yeah and then like people would know this exactly oh, i so can true.
0: imagine also like being the husband of a couples therapist you also might feel quite uh your husband maybe we shouldn't talk about your husband so much but hypothetically <laughs> he might feel quite intimidated and uh like he doesn't have the vocabulary and the tools that you have and you have this advantage um sometimes when you're in conflict okay i was thinking the we same shouldn't talk thing about
2: that <laughs> I honestly, I don't think Matt feels that way. I think he (laughs) would, but here's, here's what I think the thing is, is that like, okay. If you think about communication on a scale and one end of the scale is vulnerability and one end of the scale. Okay. So neither is bad or good. So There's absolutely times where guarded communication is totally the best option. And there are times where vulnerable communication is the best option. So like at work, if you're feeling really hurt by something that your boss is doing or a coworker, and they are not necessarily the most warm and fuzzy people, I would not recommend going in with high vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I would recommend trying to hit a middle part of that scale where you're professional and somewhat guarded but vulnerable enough that you're not going into like an accusation or a blame or something like that. So this is something that I think is, you know, completely understandable that people are not used to tracking within themselves. So many, many, many clients come into me and they would rate themselves at vulnerable. They would say, I'm vulnerable when I'm communicating. And I would rate them at the most guarded mm. because feel vulnerable. So they would right. say, I feel vulnerable when I'm saying this, which is true, but the way you're communicating it is actually guarded. Now I wouldn't say this, this explicitly to a client, but so in terms of a therapist, so if I were being guarded, I would communicate as a therapist. So I would be coming Mm -hmm. in with like, this is, you know, this is really the right way or, you know, in my experience X or whatever, if I were communicating that way, I would be communicating guarded and it actually doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be communicating as a therapist or not, I'm going to get a defensive reaction because that is a math formula. Like if you want a math formula, it's <laughs> guarded equals defense. Uh-huh, you will yeah. never get a different outcome. <laughs> mm-hmm. It will always be that outcome. Yeah. So that's why I don't think that happens so much with us simply because I know I have to come vulnerable to get the outcome I want, which is him feeling safe enough to authentically engage with me. So that's where I have to say like, I'm feeling really insecure right now, which I hate saying, but it's a better way to communicate. Or I have to say, I feel like I'm letting you down and I feel really bad about that. Mm. Or I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable that I'm not as attractive to you as you know I was that sucks. It mm. sucks to say that, but it is the better way. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, he's relating to me as a person, like his brain won't read me as a therapist. He's just relating to his imperfect human wife who feels insecure and needs reassurance sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you <laughs> um, <Matt> and Wesley <laughs> Sitting in a tree. Just
0: kidding. <laughs> poor (laughs) Matt
2: he's like stop talking about me on this podcast he never listens to this stuff perfect
0: yeah um I I feel like one of uh the main okay it's quite clear that communication is pretty much key to all of this um if you were to share some thoughts on how people can develop their communication skills um I know it's all about practice but like how, what would be, if you consider yourself to be a terrible communicator, what would mm-hmm. be, and, and this can go for work or life or friendship or whatever, what would you think would be great first steps to take?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a good first step with the internal and a good first step with the external. So internally, I would be encouraging people to start practicing awareness around what they feel. And this is, this is very difficult for many people, especially if you weren't raised in an environment where you had emotions regulated by your parents with you. Um, So many people, and there's no shame in this, have no idea what they're feeling.
0: Mm. Me (laughs) all the time.
2: (laughs) And, and it is. Often a very um important coping mechanism growing up to not be paying attention to how you feel. Mm. It is an effective and necessary coping mechanism at times to have been able to suppress and shelve what you're feeling and put on a happy face and keep moving. Um, and so The hard part is, is that no one gets a letter from like emotional Hogwarts when they turn 25 (laughs) that says, oh, you don't have to do it anymore. Like Mm -hmm. this, this work, this was needed when you were growing up and you don't need it anymore. It's probably not going to help now. No one gets the letter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So part of it is, I think, just practicing and you can do this at any point, which is just saying, what do I feel right now? You know, if you're walking to the bus or you're, well, we don't do that as much anymore, but if you're, <laughs> if you're walking or cooking or doing whatever, and you're just like, okay, so what am I feeling right now? And it's good to start in calmer moments. It's a little bit easier. So you might notice like, well, I'm feeling kind of anxious. And I'm also feeling like kind of excited to, you know, see the rest of that show or whatever. It doesn't have to be life-changing. You're just noticing what the feelings are. And then after an interaction with a partner or a friend or whatever, that that's a good time to also check in. Like, how am I feeling? You know, what's coming up for me? Because the really helpful part of communication is talking from your internal world. Nine times out of 10, we are going to communicate about our partner or about our other person, where we're saying, you didn't do this, and you also didn't see this, and you do this too much and that communication just really doesn't work because the other person feels attacked and then they just defend. Mm-hmm. So the external part of the communication is coming from i. So it's saying I'm feeling anxious about this or I'm feeling a- angry at you because of this. That's fine. You know, if it's coming from the internal. So it's 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 learning to speak from your internal world. And I think um, if you want an advanced move, it's something where it's also sending a safety signal to your partner. Mm -hmm. So communication works in safety. Like if you want communication, if you want your partner to talk to you, them feeling safe is the best possible outcome that you're going to have and vice versa. So if you can say something like, you probably didn't mean this to come out this way, however, I felt really hurt when this happened. Then they're realizing like, okay, they don't see me as an evil, bad person, but this just affected them. Now my brain can calm down enough to attune to them. Mm. Because we, we're, we're all walking around just terrified think people think we're bad people. Yeah, I mean, it takes like a microsecond and we're like, do you think I'm a bad person? Like, do am I a bad person? Am I not valued? Am I a worthless piece of crap on this earth? Like we're all like two seconds away from this thought. Mm. So in communication, that's what gets triggered is that everyone's like, you see me as bad. No, you see me as bad. And like, that's when you start fighting. So yeah. the more you can say like, it's not that you're bad, but yes, I did feel upset or confused or hurt by this. So can we talk about it? Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, great. Right.
0: Right. I'm just
1: like <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't wait to send this to all my friends. Just I like. <laughs> know. I'm just like, holy macaroni. This wow. is really um yeah, this has been really wonderful. So here's the thing. Um we, Penny and I, and um quite a few people already follow uh Wesley and Little mm-hmm. on the Instagram, which you're you're killing it on Instagram. Oh, oh yeah, you, you really are. <laughs> Really, Um, So we're going to put Wesley's Instagram handle in our description. Highly recommend to follow. You share just such like really kind of like tangible, simple advice that's immediately, you can immediately use. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. Um, So please don't stop doing that. But what we'd really love from you are also like your own favorite resources for relationships, communication, for like whatever you're reading or listening to. We'd
2: love to hear that. I have so many. Um, and I, I will email you guys this list so oh, you don't great. have to, Thank you. you know, get all the words and spelling right and everything else right now. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. So for people in relationships, I think the book Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson is a really invaluable resource. And also the book Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by John Gottman is very helpful. Even for if people you're not single, married? So those are, I think, if you're in a relationship. Okay, those 2 long-term relationship. Okay. And then if you are single and wanting a relationship, I also recommend reading Seven Principles um, because I think it does a very good job of breaking down what a healthy relationship is. And I I would love, like if I were talking to my younger self, I mean, I, I just got very lucky with Matt, like, very, very, very lucky. If I had married any of the other pers- people I dated, it would have been a disaster <laughs> marriage. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I would have had to be in couples therapy. Yeah, <laughs> we, would, we would not be together. <laughs> so because, because honestly, like before, before Matt, and I think, you know, I was going through my own development too, but I think Matt really helped. I just had, I had very low self-esteem. I really didn't. I, and I, I wouldn't describe myself that way at the time. But looking back, like, I don't think that I thought about, like, what are things I deserve in a relationship? Or what are boundaries that are important for me? I was much more oriented to, like, how can I just make this work? I was like the Tim Gunn of relationships. <laughs> I was just like, I will just make this work somehow. <laughs>
0: Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I think that's actually really relevant advice for job seekers as well. Like I tell people all the time, it's not just about someone interviewing you. It's about you finding the right fit um, as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's about what you want in your life and your values. So that's interesting crossover advice. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's very
2: cool. I can totally see that. Um, So I love seven principles because it outlines like here are the things that work in a relationship. Here are the things that aren't going to work. Here are the things that are meant to make you feel good. Here are the things that are meant to make you feel bad. And so reading it, I think, like, even, understand, even thinking, like, is my partner critical? Like, I don't think sometimes we stop and think that. We just think, oh, they're always upset with me. And then if we're in the more kind of withdrawing position, we just get into that loop of like, it must be because I'm not enough. And then I'm also Mm. mad at them. But we don't pause and think like, hey, like, I'm not okay with you talking to me that way. I am okay with you telling me your needs. But like, I think that book is very helpful in determining that. Um, Mm. I think a really good book for anyone who wants to understand their sexuality better is Come As You Are by Emily (sighs) Nagowski. I just bought that on audiobook. So good.
1: Oh, so good. I keep hearing about this book. Oh so well. Everybody. Written. Yeah.
0: It has Great. a vagina on the cover as far as I know. Ooh.
1: It, ha- it-, it, it boy. Like that. <laughs> That's so
0: funny. Um, Can't wait to put the word vagina in the show notes. But,
2: um. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, along that vein, um there's a sex therapist named Vanessa Marin, and she has a great instagram account, great website she She really works more in the online workshop world um and her stuff is wonderful, and she puts out a ton of content like that woman is killing the content game um and I, I think she has a very nice approach, especially for mismatched libido couples, for people who might have trouble orgasming or might have like never, ever explored their sexual identity. Um, so I think her stuff is really good. So that's where I would, I would start people out.
0: Cool. Oh,
2: and then amazing want recommendations. It, this, is, this is not trying to plug my own website, but I do have a, a long list of books that I love on my website. Um, Perfect. And so that's, that's a place where people can go and look and just see all the books I love about this stuff.
0: Actually, that's a really good point. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listen to this and decide that they want you to, um, be their couples counselor. Do you have any availability? Like, should they bother or no?
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, I doubt that I would be able to see them because most people are not going to be in North Carolina and I can't counsel outside of state. Lines or country Ah. lines. Oh, right.
1: I already inquired (laughs) (laughs) and found that out. Cute. Is that a legal thing?
2: Like a legal thing? Okay. Yes, and it does kind of drive me nuts um, because I don't think counseling someone in California, where I'm from, is different than counseling someone in North Carolina. But I think so. If people are are listening to this and saying, you know, I think it's time for me to start seeing a therapist, couples or otherwise. Um, I, I think so PsychologyToday.com. um, it's the biggest therapist directory that I know of, where you can search by your area. You can search by your insurance type. Um, if you are a person of color who wants a really safe space, there is an amazing directory that I will email you guys by Dr. Joy. Um, and so I'll email you that and put it in the show notes. Um, so There are kind of various directories where you can find a therapist.
0: Great. Thanks for that information. Um, great. Do you have any other questions? I only have 1000 other questions, but I think I we know. for our next episode,
1: <laughs> I think so too. I was just thinking that, um, right when you, uh, earlier Wesley, when you brought up the fact of like, when you're going in to talk to your boss, whether you should be vulnerable or not, Ooh. we should definitely do another episode and explore Ooh. that topic. Yeah. Um, vulnerability at work, for instance. Um, but yeah, but this was, so so great and thank you so much for being on our lovely little podcast.
2: Oh, thank you guys. This is so fun. I just adore what you guys do. It's so fun to be with you. So thanks for letting me be here. Uh, we
1: can't
0: thank you enough. Thanks, Wesley. You're a real gem. I'm
1: a so real star. we finally
0: made this happen.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. We have been talking about having Wesley on for a very like months. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, glad it all worked out. Yes. Leslie the Wesley. <laughs> there it is. Um, should we, should we all uh, say the sign off together? Wesley, the sign off is don't be a dick. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so here's how it goes. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a great week and don't be don't a dick. Be a okay. dick.
2: <laughs> well, perfect. Can I oh. add my therapist? Can I add my therapist sign off to that? Oh, please. Yes. yes deal with your inner trauma and wounds so that you're able to express yourself in a non dick like way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was oh, I love that rephrasing. We're just like <laughs> bossing people around and Wesley's giving them like kind really open advice. <laughs>